Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. I'm here with Scott Janish from What's uh, Buried? <laughs> Sapwood Sellers, yeah. Sapwood Sellers, <laughs> author of New IPA and all around nice guy and, and very knowledgeable about hops and using hops. So, Scott, how, how are things going for you? I haven't talked to you for, for a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Sapwood and such. Yeah, it's, we're we're doing pretty well here. Actually, we just put in a order a few days ago for for some more some more tanks. We're still on the smaller side. We just did over a little over a thousand barrels um, mm-hmm. last year, and so maybe close to fifty percent more um, this year with some more some more tanks. And um, so things are things are going good. And still pretty small operation where uh, my business partner and I are still pretty heavily involved in a lot of the actual pull and the levers and stuff. So hopefully we can get some more, uh, some more good help this year and, and start to think maybe a little more business and a little less beer, but that's, I don't know if that sounds more fun or not, but that's probably where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah, that's not, I mean, <laughs> careful what you wish for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, these I, are great until they're not, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and you guys have a tap room there, right? Yeah, we have a, a pretty good sized tap room. We're actually expanding that, potentially expanding that this year too, and looking at adding like a, a commercial kitchen or a permanent food truck or, or something like that too. So mm-hmm. a lot of things that I really don't know a lot about that I'm going to have to start learning about. So Nice. So where are you located? So people know where to find you? Yeah, we're in Columbia, Maryland. So if you are familiar with like the DC, Baltimore area, we're almost like right in between both of those cities good location lots of people all around this year great uh-oh i'll have to come and visit yeah definitely i've uh, promised to visit uh, several people out there so i think i need to get on a plane and, and come out and make it happen another person i need to, to, to go visit is um good friend john blickman i don't know if you know john blickman have you ever met him i have not met him he's no. he's a great guy he's absolutely hilarious he's uh got, got quite the sense of humor and uh, quite the engineering mind so he is uh you know a problem solver in the engineering world and he makes makes beautiful brewing equipment so uh all you listeners if if you're looking for new brew equipment check it out blickmanengineering.com they've got everything from uh, your more simplified but still great uh, anvil brewing equipment and then all the way up to pro brewing gear so Check them out, BlickmanEngineering.com. Uh, John Blickman's been paying for the show, so you don't have to. So the least you could do is check out the website. Maybe send them an email, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Tell them how much you appreciate it. And I'm sure he would very much appreciate getting that, that email from you. 
Okay. So Scott, you've been kind of cornered into being a hop guy, I think. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you know other things, but let's see here. Mike is asking in the chat, hey guys, I'm three quarters of the way through the new IPA and I'm wondering what are some of the new developments in hops and hazy hop beer since the book was released? Good question. I have wish I had more time on my hands to write the whole next book, the next but there's book. definitely, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, new science since, since the book came out a few years ago. And um, I think sure. a lot more focus on the style too. I think, you know, back when I was writing the book, which is, you know, a couple of years before it actually came out, there wasn't a lot of research that was being done mm -hmm. specifically for like hazy, hoppy IPAs. It was kind of more, you know, just general beer studies for the most part, where you kind of had to piece things together. But now there's a lot more focus specifically on that style, if that's something, you know, people are interested in. And, Right. Um, at, there's a whole bunch of new stuff now from genetically engineered or bioengineered yeast strains to mm -hmm. uh, precursor products. There's a lot of you know new hop products to use, like oil-wise, uh, extract-wise. So I don't, there's a lot, a lot of directions to go with that. Well, and you did a beer, what, the Locksmith, which was using yeah. a bioengineered yeast? Yeah, so that was, um, we did a collaboration with, uh, it was like a three-way collaboration. So that was with Omega Yeast, who uh, has a, a handful of, of bioengineered strains out now. Um, that was their Cosmic Punch one that's designed for releasing bound thiols. And then um, the other part of that collab was with Phantasm, um, which is the, you know, it's a essentially dried um, Sauvignon Blanc skins that are, you know, after they're used in the winemaking process, get get dried into a powder. And they're just really rich in the, you know, some of the same tiles. Well, 3MH is the, the main tile that it's, it's rich in, and that's also found in, in some hops, but it's uh, rich in the precursors that the um, Cosmic Punch can, can um, you know, unlock. So, mm -hmm. so that was a fun one. And that was, you know, since, since that was done, the, the Omega's released some yeast strains that are about 200 times more efficient at releasing those bound tiles. So I think some of those numbers, we actually sent that, that beer to France to get tested for, um, free tiles, and, and I think that would get kind of blown out of the water now with um, with what some of these new strains are doing. But that's kind of a, in some ways, it's kind of like the that IBU war type thing. Like I think mm -hmm. there's probably a ceiling on um, so on bomb file or uh, free tiles because it starts to um, you know some of those beers with those strains are very unique. But um, I think you can you can tell right away that those strains are used, and it's kind of a mm -hmm still trying to figure out how to best utilize them. I don't know if you've had any experience drinking some of those or. Yeah. Yeah. We, we brewed some and uh, drank quite a few and, you know, using any new ingredient or technique or piece of equipment, I was always of the, the mind that, you know, you need to use each one individually and, you know, try it, see what difference it makes and then kind of, you know, use that in your your palette of of flavors that you're going to use mm -hmm. but when it comes to something like this like you're saying you were using the genetically modified yeast you're using the the phantasm skins you, you know yeah. trying, you have to use them in combination so it makes it much tougher to figure out you know what you're going to get with any individual ingredient since they need to be used together right um, and some of the things we've done, we did one with 
Hop Union with uh, Jay Prawl. And uh, we just pretty much put in a whole bunch of different stuff. You know? Yeah. We'll use oils. We'll use, you know, the powders. We use, you know, and uh, turned out great. But I'm still not sure. What was doing what? <laughs> yeah, what was doing what? And and if we, you know, some of the things weren't needed or, you know, some of the things were too much. It seems very difficult. I don't know that anybody's really perfectly using all these these ingredients yet. But um, it's it's like getting a new tool and it's got a weird head on it. And you're not sure what kind of screw it turns or maybe you're supposed to use it as a hammer or or it's for something else entirely. Yeah. You don't really know. <laughs> at this point um but my my other thought on it is it it doesn't really replace the the actual hops you have yeah. to still use uh pellet hops or whole cone hops just because without it it tastes kind of weird and if then and, and you can like you're saying you can tell uh, a beer's been made with some of these things like the bioengineered yeast i mean tastes good but it's unusual. Let's see here. Chad in the chat uh, had a question. Uh, let's see. Longtime fan of both Jamel and Scott. My brewing experience is that less is more. How do we turn the drinkers to more subtle flavors? So bold flavors seem to be really, really the way. And I think that's because the average drinker or, you know, most most folks aren't that focused on subtle flavors they they're used to bold things i mean you know, we've been raising generations with you know sour candies and intense flavors and, and every advertisement for like mountain dew is you know these hit me over the head with it yes and so I, I think there's kind of a loss at that i think back to when i was first learning about beers you know I would taste things and I'd be, oh my God, what's this? And then I'd read about it and I, I could I could kind of learn uh, you know, as I went. And then I started picking up more and more subtle flavors to the point now when I I, I can't breathe without <laughs> noticing aromas. I can't taste anything without, you know, thinking about the flavors. Um yeah. so I, I I think for me it was, you know talking about the flavors and learning about the flavors. I think, you know, once you do and you get somebody to start, you know, thinking about the taste, it, it sticks with them. You know, they realize that they have the ability. So maybe that's, yeah. that's a way. Do you have any thoughts on that, Scott? I, I think a lot of times people get intimidated when they get put on the spot to like taste something, smell something. And, you know, what do you smell? What do you taste? Hmm. Um, but if you, it's more of a memory thing to me. I'm sure you've heard people say that, where it's a, you know, if you're in the in the right frame frame of mind and you 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 smell something, it kind of takes you back to a certain, you know, childhood memory or something like that, which generally is like some candies or something like that. So people can not overthink it when they're when they're trying to come up, you know, smell and and taste certain flavors and things. But I, I completely agree. Now it's it's become, you know, a lot of the beers that. You know, we're putting out for the non-beer people are just over the top, ridiculous fruited mm -hmm. beers or, or, you know, things like that. And, and so it is, it's a good question. Cause yeah. So, you know, who's drinking they just the uh, Pilsners or, or Hellas's and, and of mm -hmm. the world. And a lot of times now that's the uh, people brewing them 
right. not as much as <laughs> people coming in. But there is there's a there's a little bit of a, a shift in the last year or so, I think, mm-hmm. towards towards more of those beers. Yeah, myself, I'm drinking Harvey's Old Ale, which oh, yeah. uh, I muled over from England in a Oh, there it is. Awesome. <laughs> I'm leader mini king. That's awesome. I found that my luggage will hold about four of these and, and some dirty underwear and still be under 70 pounds. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my new trick to, to, to get beer from England. I, I always think that when you go to a bottle share and, and someone's been traveling or they, you know, they, they bring the bottle to the share and you know, 100% it was right next to their dirty underwear the whole time. So. Is there a new hop product that you're really excited about? I've, you know, I don't know how new it is necessarily, but um, I've become a big fan of Popsteiner. Salvo is what it's called. And it's uh, essentially, it's, it's a good product, I think, because it has the, you know, the hop compounds, the hop oils that you want, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but you can add it, you know, in your kettle at whirlpool temperatures and, and not get any... Um, IBU pick up from it. And so for us, it's just a, a great way to increase the hop compound load that's going into your fermenter. Um, it's more of a, in, in addition to our whirlpool hops. So we're still like two pounds per barrel or, or something like that, plus some more hop oil just to really to mm-hmm. up it. And, and for us, it just it creates a good base. I think that's part of the tricky part about heavily high hop beers is still getting enough balance in with some hot side hops and, and that like hot side flavoring base. And so I like products that can kind of give you that without tilting it too high into the uh, IBU territory. So. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we use that in a, in that beer with, uh, with Jay Prawl and it seems like a, a fascinating product, a great product. Like you're saying, um, you know, no, no alpha acids, but you know, essentially all the other, compounds of you know flavor and aroma so uh could be a great great product all right uh i need to take a short break and when we come back we'll have more with scott janish right after this are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're talking hops, new hop products, and uh, 
let's see here. Uh, Scott, we have a question uh, that's sent in to, to Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com. If you have your brewing questions, you send them in there. And eventually I will get to them like this one from uh, 2010. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Michael writes, good day, gentlemen. A question I was pondering the other day. We're quite familiar with using IBUs to determine the amount of bitterness the beer will have. What about flavor? Aside from trial and error, is there a measurement that we can use to determine the flavor impact? Are IBUs related to flavor in some way that would allow a calculation? I haven't researched this at all, and perhaps there is some work already out there. It's occurred to me as I'm trying to replicate Sierra Nevada's Summerfest. I'm really impressed with the notable hop flavor this beer offers from Saz, I think. And I was trying to figure out how much to use for a late edition. I hope this is a useful question and one that you might be able to shed some insight on. Cheers, Michael. What do you think about that, Scott? Um, you know, I, I personally, I think a lot of my hop flavor aroma calculation is just based on experience. Okay. Well, I did this before, so and that worked, you know, or I, I want a little bit more, or you know, what do you think? Is there is there in our future some sort of well, the, you know, this compound and this hop is, you know, this, this amount of uh, milligrams and, you know, I'm going <laughs> to dose with that, or is everything going to get separated out to where we're just using very <laughs> specific? We'd probably lose a lot of people if, if we start getting that into the weeds, but I, I don't know. I think I agree kind of with you that IBU number for me is more of a repeatability number. Like this is how this how I perceived a beer to taste or how bitter it was. I think uh, it's a good question, Michael. I, I don't really know the answer, but you know, a lot of it's experience and a lot of it is, you know, just going with uh, recipes that, you know, and, and people that, you know, and what their recommendation might be. Uh, generally, I think, you know, there's, it, there doesn't need to be a whole lot of precision in that, you know, the difference between you know two ounces and three ounces is not huge in a lot of hop aroma and flavor sometimes in a homebrew. So I think if you can get within 20%, you're going to be pretty close. Yeah. And there's just so many other factors. How old is the hop? Uh, how many alpha acids does that lot have? And it's just, it's really hard to, to know how precise your estimate even is. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Mike in the chat was asking thoughts on the non-GMO White Labs 077 Tropical Yeast blend. Making a hazy with it right now, it's coming out beautifully. That one is a strain I have not yet uh, had a chance to to brew with or experiment with, but it's it's definitely on my list. Um, I know there's a lot of um, excitement for that strain since there's a lot of countries that uh, can't actually legally use um, bioengineered yeast strains. And so this is one that can mm -hmm. supposedly re release some, some of these styles, um, um, but, you know, they can actually use them. So that's, um, I don't have a lot of uh, to say on that, but I'm looking forward to, to trying it. I know that the numbers that they released um, when the product came out made it seem like it, it, it is going to be a pretty, um, a powerful strain to to experiment with, but I think um, 
kind of like what you were saying. That's one of those where you almost want to do just a base beer with it first mm-hmm. and just kind of see where it's at and then start um, trying to layer in more flavors to, right. to, to, to double down on, on the fruitiness or, or whatever the case. But um, in general, those strains I've found to be once you, once you dry hop them, um, that file fermentation character gets uh, pretty heavily reduced. I don't know if you've noticed that too in, in, in the beers you've had, but um, I think that's even more the case in, in the uh, strains that, that aren't bioengineered and probably don't have as high of a, a file release count. But um, again, that's a strain I need to experiment mm-hmm. with. Yeah, I've got to try it too. Oh, um, I will, I will pull that card and see if they will send me some for free. I don't know. (laughs) I will guilt them into it. Um, uh, They've got nothing to be guilty about. What's your feeling? I I did a show with uh, Mitch Steele about bioengineered stuff. What's your, what's your feeling on it? I mean, should breweries make sure that customers know before, you know, selling them beer that has a bioengineered yeast or is it is it not a not an issue? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't hear the la- the last little bit of that. I we broke up a little bit. Uh, should breweries be you know very clear to customers about the fact that they used a bioengineered yeast, or is it a non-issue? You know, I think we've been in the beers. Well, it looks like uh, we're kind of cutting in and out again. That's a shame. Because Scott is really a great person to talk to and has a lot of knowledge. And um, I'm sitting here just filling time. <laughs> oh, there you are. There, yeah, I don't know what's what's going on. I'm sorry. I got a, a full full strength here on, on Wi-Fi and I've, I have no answers. <laughs> All right. What's your answer to the uh, bioengineering <laughs> question? Um, that we, we do uh, tell everyone when we use it. Uh, it's pretty obvious. You know, we, we, okay. Well, we found out that it is obvious. Uh, so they tell people, so that's good. Uh, let's see here. James from Salinas, he asked, uh, Hey lads, been cycling through a few different dry hopping practices. And one I wanted to know more about was adding hops before primary fermentation was finished. I get the whole oxygen scavenging from the yeast, but what about flavor aroma contributions from the metabolizing of glycosides. Is that a real thing or is it just the warm temp that's extracting more oils? It's really keeping me up at nights. Clarification would be greatly appreciated. (laughs) Did you hear that whole question? I did. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, Why don't you go ahead while we still have you? (laughs) You know, the, the getting glycosides in for, for your, first of all, your, your yeast strain you use has to, you know, have beta-glucosidase enzymes during fermentation to even release these found glycosides. But I think you, you can get those glycosides in just through a whirlpool addition, you know, if you're going that route, so you wouldn't have to necessarily do a active or late fermentation dry hop to, to, to get that sort of release. But um, even when I've used uh, direct enzymes during fermentation, um, the beta-glucosidase enzyme to release those um, those compounds, I, I've never really had a beer when I've used a commercial enzyme like that that wowed me in a way that even like a, a bioengineered yeast strain has. So I think those glycosides, is if you're freeing those, I think that's more of a complexity builder than like a complete game changer. Mm-hmm. Right. 
yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm the same way. And I always believed that <clears throat> when everyone was talking about throwing hops into, uh, into the fermenter during fermentation, I was always thinking, well, you know, just put them in the whirlpool, extract out uh, all the compounds that you need, and, you know, a low temperature whirlpool, and then that's in there. It's it's in the beer, and then you don't have the problem because we did some uh, early on. We did some testing of putting hops into the the ferment, dry hopping during fermentation or dry hopping after fermentation, and every person in blind tasting picked the after fermentation dry hopping and the reason was the fermentation dry hopping it produced a harshness that was very unpleasant and so we ended up uh you know never never doing that and later on i started focusing on adding to the whirlpool instead but yeah i think the 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 need for fermentation dry hopping uh, is is not there. I don't I don't see the the benefit to it. Like you're saying, the bioengineered yeast will will extract a lot more, and we'll see what this uh, this white labs yeast can do. Well, sounds like fun. All right, time for a second break. We'll be back right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. I'm talking with Scott Janish, uh, author, brewer. They've got a great place out in Maryland that uh, you can stop by and enjoy their little tap room and uh, their fine beers. I'm going to these days. Apparently not, not a very good Wi-Fi connection, but the beers are pretty good. Right. If if you're going there for Wi-Fi to do some work, you know, <laughs> forget about it. All with yeah, forget about it. You, you don't, <laughs> you'll you'll be able to rattle off a couple of tweets, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe maybe check a you know a stock price or something, but that's going to be it. Uh, well, it gives you more more focus on the beer. Let's see here. <laughs> Speaking about focusing on the beer and the people with great Wi-Fi. Oh, by the way, is my good friends at Brew Chatter in uh, Sparks, Nevada, right near Reno. Great folks. They have an amazing homebrew shop. And, uh, you know, more amazing is their customer service and their knowledge about brewing. Really good, great guys, RJ and Josh. Uh, you go down there. They've got a little uh, bar in the shop where you can enjoy a lot of great beers that they've personally picked uh, while you're doing your homebrew shopping. And um, anything you need uh, to make the best beer in the world, they have it. So go check them out. Good folks. You can find them on the, online at brewchatter.com. And uh, you can find them in person in Sparks. If you go there, tell them I sent you. Good friends of mine. I love them both. All right. Uh, we're talking uh, hopping. Let's see here. Checking the chats. And Ken saying, hey, Jamel, glad to see you're still supporting the VN, still doing podcasts. Appreciating uh, the fact that we're still doing podcasts. <laughs> you bet, Ken. Uh, love doing the podcast. Love being part of the community. Uh, so there you go. Cody asks, from, Cody from Fargo asks, yo, 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 my Bruin bros and hoes. Uh, 
What's the deal with hop extract? My brewmate wants to make an IPA using hop extract. I've seen both hop resins and hop oils in the extract sections on Northern Brewer, More Beer, Hop Tech, etc., and was wondering exactly what the differences are. Are there specific extracts for bittering, flavor, aroma, boil, no boil, dry hopping additions, which to use for what part of the hop schedule? Also, if you have any knowledge of extraction methods and how they differ, I would love to know. Finally, I've seen single hop extractions. How would the perception of oil versus traditional hopping for a specific variety differ? Sorry for running on, just a lot of info I've looked uh, for and very little found on this semi-new product technique. If you feel it better warrants a full show, that'd be even better. Thank you for all you do for the homebrewing community, Brew Strong. What do you think on that, Scott? You know, there's so many different hop extract products now. I don't, I, it's almost like the, uh, that, like you mentioned with the bioengineered strains, how it's like not replacing hops. I, I think even the extracts themselves don't, aren't completely the same as um, dry hops themselves. Just, just today, I, we used the new one from uh, Freestyle Hops. It's called like, it's called Sub-Zero Hop Keith. I don't know if you've, seen that one yet, but it's, they're nice enough to send us some to try, but it's a lupulin only kind of gland um, extract that's pourable in, um, I believe it's ethanol. Um, and it's just like one liter, I think, replaces about 44 pounds of, of hop. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, for us, we, it's been more of a lot of these products are more of a, um, in addition to actual hops. Um, right. I think there's just a lot you don't get with like mouthfeel and um, things like that with, with T90 and cryo. Um, it's more of a way to kind of like up, um, you know, play. I think maybe you don't completely love some of the hops you have, or you're not happy with your extraction or whatever. You can kind of tweak it a little bit after fermentation with some of these um, oils, but um, there's just so many now, even on the hot side. I mean, there's some just, still for bittering or you can you know do the hop variety specific ones for their oils like if you look at like the survivable research um you can use some of those hop the hops that are high in those survivables as an extract as a way to try to really increase um your your hop saturated flavor but um yeah it's, there's there's a lot to, to talk on, on on oils there um i i'd say for the most part of a, a, a little bit too much of those oils is way too much um, mm -hmm. We've done some some benchtop trials, and it's um, pretty pretty quickly you can um, there's like an extracty just green cooked hop thing that you can get from from oils, and so I think it's very tinkering in a way that really gets you a, a little bit of that um, character without just completely overtaking the beer. Right, I I feel the same way. It, it's like, you know, most additions, you know, if you're making like, let's say a, uh, you know, a peach, you know, a uh, lager or something, uh, you may end up wanting to add, you know, a tiny bit of peach extract in the top because after fermentation, you know, you're really missing a lot of that character and it's kind of the same thing on the hops. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the new stuff. I mean, I, I do, I, and part of it is because I haven't, uh, I mean, I don't mean I dislike it. It's just that I'm not uh, crazy gung-ho to use it in everything. 
yeah. is, is what I mean by not a huge fan. Um, when we were doing um, uh, uh, the Evil Three beer, uh, Mitch Steele, Tasty McDowell, and myself, you know, we were throwing in a lot of hops because we wanted to maximize the the, the bittering to balance out, uh, you know, eleven and a half percent beer, and uh, <clears throat> we, you know, in the early rounds, I was tasting, you know, too much vegetal from the amount of hops, even using a high alpha hop. So uh, we cut the the high alpha hops, didn't eliminate it, but you know, reduced it down, and then used uh, some CO two extract, alpha extract uh, from Hopsteiner, and we used that, <clears throat> and we were able to to add enough to where the the wort was rejecting it; it was just sticking to the side of the kettle, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, so we maxed that out and were able to reduce the actual uh, leaf matter. And you couldn't get rid of the leaf matter because then it didn't taste right, but you could really reduce it down and it improved the overall flavor because you you got rid of uh, some of the, you know, the excessive uh, kind of vegetal thing you get from lots and lots of hot matter. I don't know if it's, if you've had used some of those like post fermentation oils um, that are that are supposed to kind of replicate dry hopping, but I think a lot of times in those cases you're, you're you take a compound like myrcene, which is like you know one two percent of the myrcene of a if a pellet actually gets into the beer, but then when you make an extract from it and you make that whole thing soluble, um, mm. you're you're creating like a um, the extracts themselves come across to me tasting really green. And I think part of that is you're making the, some of these compounds that usually aren't getting into your beer, you know, 100%. Right. Uh, cut out again. I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, some of those compounds uh, normally come across in, in, in minimal amounts. And uh, what I think what Scott was, was referring to is that if you get these compounds in greater amounts, um, it's going to, it, it could come across green and vegetal just from that as well. So um, th there's just a lot of things to, to learn and, to, and to, uh, to experiment with, with all these new hot products. So um, it, it's kind of a, a, a cool world for uh, brewers of, of commercial and homebrewing. But there's, but there's almost nothing better than like a, tr just a hot pellet cone or traditional T90s that are just right on the money. Then it's hard to, it's hard to replicate or mm -hmm. um, to beat that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Ken's asking, uh, I'll ask a question in, in the chat. He's asking, I'll ask a question related to the conversation. Last summer, I brewed a smash pale ale using two-row and galaxy hops. My intent was to first brew a West Coast style of the beer, followed by the same beer brewed to NEPA style with a different water profile and different yeast, but the same grain and hop mill. My water profile for the mash was as follows. Let's see here. Yeah, calcium gypsum, 12 grain, a little bit of uh, calcium chloride, some Epsom salt, table salt. Let's see. Uh, all right. Sparge water was set to uh, match that. Ultimately, there was a harsh bitterness in the finish that wasn't the hops. 
I concluded that this calcium carbonate was way too high for hot bill that was only targeted at 43. Does that make sense? Uh, 103 parts per million calcium, magnesium. The sulfates are pretty high. I'm not sure which which of the the beers the salt additions were for. I would say that uh, that must have been for the West Coast because you wouldn't make a hazy with that high a sulfate and that low a, a chloride uh, sulfate 305 chloride 53. Scott, that's yeah, that is pretty high for right sulfate. Yeah, I mean generally that can just increase the perception of the dryness of a beer at that at that level, even if it's you know not even that dry. Right. So I think that's part of where you're getting your harsh bitterness from. And so you'd either want to up the chlorides to help balance or reduce your your uh, sulfates down to get get a little lower on the West Coast. And then you want to reverse that for the hazy. You want to go much higher on the chlorides and much lower on the on the sulfates. Scott's got a great website that has a lot of information on it. When I was dialing in the heretic uh, hazy beers i uh, found his information very uh very helpful and uh, interesting uh let's see yes he says that was the west coast that uh and he never got to the need well there you go um yeah it's still it's i mean that's that's kind of biting bitter the other thing to check on on a beer like that is make sure your ph isn't too low or too high that can have an effect as well. You know, you want your, you know, with, with heavy dry hopping, that'll raise the pH. And sometimes that can, that can not taste so great either. So uh, check your pH as well. All right, let's see here. David asks, he lives in Hicksville, Ohio. And I think uh, we made fun of that in a previous show. <laughs> Said Hicksville, Ohio is named after a man named Hicks, but not the railroad tycoon from Hicksville, New York. I guess there's lots of Hicksvilles around. Anyways, I'm planning on buying my hops in bulk from now on and was wondering, how long can I store vacuum-sealed hops in the freezer until I start losing alpha acids? How about for non-vacuum-sealed hops, such as in a Ziploc bag? Thanks, your hick buddy, Dave. What do you think, Scott? You know, I think um, this is something I've, recently talked uh, with Stan Hieronymus about, um, you know, that, that a lot of hops really, if they're stored in a good condition, really maintain themselves really well. I mean, the, the alpha acids might go down a little bit, but a lot of the oils that you're really after in these hops are staying there for a while. Um, in fact, there's even, you know, I guess some breweries that are, are targeting some, you know, maybe two, three-year-old uh, hops if they're stored well, um, really, you know, they, they prefer that the character they get from them. So um, I think you can, you know, at least a, a couple of years be pretty, uh, pretty confident in most, most hops. Right. I, I agree. It's, it's surprising. And I, and I think temperature is the key here because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Mylar bag flush with nitrogen, you know, and then <laughs> sealed and all that, that's great. And that's, I think that, in a, in a very cold freezer is is perfect. That's the best you're going to get. And I think if you do that, those hops five years down the road, still great. 
And the key is the cold temperatures because things, uh, all, all reactions slow down the colder it gets. So any oxidation, things like that, I think you're really not going to run into as much of a problem. And, and I guess the oxidation of, of the oils and, uh, you know, as far as alpha acids, you know, what I, I don't know for a fact, but what I've read in the past is that uh, as the alpha acids are are being are declining, the bitterness of the beta acids is coming up, and kind of balances it out. I've used hops that were three, four, five years old and not really had a problem because they were stored, uh, you know, absolutely frozen. So, uh, and even bags that I would open, I would just you know roll them up and and tape them shut and then put them back in the freezer. And even those hops uh, turned out pretty, pretty good. So I think you have a long time before uh, really worrying about a problem with uh, storage of uh, the hops. Especially if you're being used hop side, I think you can, yes. they can go even further. And, and then your nose is really your best guide when it comes to, to dry hopping. And, you know, if it's three years old, but it still smells, you know, amazing. It's yeah. Safe to you. If they're still, you know, intense green, not that weird yellowish thing, and they smell good. If they smell cheesy or, you know, sulfury or something like that, don't use those, you know, save them for your, your lambic experiments, but don't use them in the beer. If they smell good, look good, feel good, taste good, uh, you know, go for it. I think, I think that would be, that would be all right. All right. We'll take uh, one more break. We'll be back right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. I'm here with the... Uh, Always interesting and uh, knowledgeable Scott Janish. We're talking about new hop products and answering some some Q&A questions from, uh, you know, this one's only 22 years old. Or 23. Or 20, 20, uh, yeah, 20, 22, 22 and a half, let's call it. I mean, I'm getting to these things right away. Greg says, greetings. I was recently listening to an archive of the Sunday session for the, the first time Mitch Steele was on back in 2006. Oh my God, who was alive in 2006? Old people. Uh, he mentioned that while at Budweiser, they did a lot of hop blending. They were doing it to make their bittering and hop flavors taste the same every time. As a home brewer, though, I'm hop blending to develop different flavors and trying to find new combos. I would really enjoy it if you guys did a show about hop blending and give us your experiences with what hops go good together and how to determine ratios to get great hop flavors from combining multiple varieties. What Do you do, you do a lot of single hop beers, uh, Scott, or do you, do you tend to always uh, use more than one hop variety? I think we mostly, we do quite a few, like uh, just today I was dry hopping um, a double IPA that's going to be all of their new selected uh, Simcoe, um, and that's the only dry hop it's going to get. But um, even in those, I, I tend to like to do 
like half cryo of a variety and then half T90 of a variety. I think that that kind of helps build in enough like uh, complexity and like the cryo kind of helps, you know, that the, the aroma pop a little more and it's just, they, they work together even though they're the same variety. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just like hop blending, I think it's pretty easy to overdo it. I think in our experience, like even going past like three different hop varieties, you tend to just get sort of a generic hoppiness where nothing's really, um, you know, the, the star of the show or not one character is really coming through really good. And so mm-hmm. um, I, I, I like to keep it at like two hops for the most part um, mm. it, for the dry hopping, um, mm-hmm. just, just to really, to at least give myself the, uh, the thought that I'm actually in a little more control of what, what the outcome is. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I also, um, tend to dry hop with, you know, no more than two. So yeah, uh, once in a while I'll do three, but, um, you know, and, and, and the single hop thing, I really just enjoy because I like to really experience a single hop yeah, um, and really kind of, you know, explore the nuances that, that are in that hop. Cause the thing is when you add additional hops, uh, you know, to, to kind of a blend, then you're really, if anything, I think it masks some of the subtle, uh, hop notes of, of a particular cultivar of, uh, hops. So, uh, yeah, I generally like, you know, to go simple, but I think if you're, if you're brewing something, you know, especially commercially, you know, one of the things that we did when, uh, as we were brewing, um, our, our hazies, uh, some of the hazies, the, some of the hops were, were hard to, to come by. And so we would experiment with just swapping out different hops at different times. And so we kind of ended up with a, you know, like a four hop kind of blend, uh, you know, a couple in the, on the hot side, a couple on the, on the cold side, you know, before five. And sometimes we'd run short of something and we, or we found hops that, that tasted better, you know, in, in our, in our desk trials, uh, we'd find hops that we liked even more than what we were using. And so we'd swap those out and we were just constantly adjusting our hops and, you know, based on what was available, what tasted best. And, uh, that was, you know, in the, in the, the hazies where the goal was, you know, fruitiness mainly and so uh you know it worked it worked out worked out pretty good yeah you know advice on hot blending I, I think you know have a goal in mind right if your goal is you know piney you know citrusy then use piney citrusy hops use a couple of them um, if you're looking for something more floral or or soft or you know uh, classic uh, hopping go go that route so i would kind of categorize the hops that you're using into whatever flavor it is you're going for and then using that i would not just take some tetanang and saws and 
know, Galaxy and Fuggles and Cascade and Centennial and just throw all those together because I think you're just going to make a mess. Kind of what Scott's saying. Yeah, kind of like layering the like flavors together. I, I, I kind of agree with that. And, you know, just there's just certain hops, too, that are hard to blend with anyways because they're just so dominant, you know, hops mm. like Rewak. Right. Uh, you've cut out again. Australian or uh, Australian hop, uh, the Rewaka or the New Zealand hop. Yeah, that that's got a, its own uh, intensity. And other other hops do too, um, but they're they're blendable. And a lot of times it'll be source of the hop. So a lot of times they will they'll take uh, you know Cascade and something else, and they'll marry them together, and then come off with something and you know that there's a character to that that can be blended with other other hops. Let's see here. Scott, you still with us? Still with you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. If it was anyone else, Scott, I think I would have just, you know, hung up and, you know, called it a day. Well, I appreciate you hanging uh, in, in there with me. You're always great, and you're so knowledgeable and and fun to to chat with. Uh, I really appreciate you doing the show with me today, um, and we'll have you back on uh, again, uh, hopefully with a better better connection. Or maybe the best thing would be for me to come out there visit you, and we we'll do a show in your tap room or something. I think that I we should absolutely make that happen. Yeah, that would be fun. I, I would I would love to do it. It uh, sounds like you got a, a, a lot of people on the East Coast you're supposed to be hitting up anyways, right? So Yes. Yes, I absolutely do. <laughs> I there's there's a ton that I've promised I would come and, and visit. I think if I came out there, I'd need to spend at least six months in order to uh, <laughs> to visit everybody. So but yeah, you're you're on my list. Expect me to show up in your tap room one of these days. That would be awesome. I hope I hope we make that happen. I, I we will make it happen. And I owe uh, my good friend John Blickman a visit as well at Blickman Engineering. Uh, they're out in uh, Indiana, and I would love I'd love to visit uh, everybody. And that's that's not far from the East Coast. Maybe I'll maybe I'll combine it all. We'll see. Uh, but if you enjoy the show and want to see it keep going, make sure to reach out to our good friend uh, John Blickman. At Blickman Engineering, you can uh, email him feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. He set that up specifically for people on this show to be able to uh, email him because it used to be something else, and I kept saying feedback. So uh, he's a good guy, and he enjoys when he gets those those emails from you folks. So uh, keep it up; uh, it is much appreciated. Check out Brew Chatter, BrewChatter.com. Good folks as well, and get yourself a copy of a new IPA. Uh, the Scott Janish book, or at least uh, go to his website, check out uh, all his great writings there. I found it very useful. I found it very helpful in my brewing to read uh, the new IPA book and uh, Scott's uh, uh, website. Lots of good information in there. Scott is very uh, generous and forthcoming with his information. So thank you, Scott. Uh, thank you, everybody. Until next time, uh, brew strong. Brew strong.